by way of introduction, I'm going to start today's work not with my own thoughts and ideas, but with the words of a priest, because they cut right to the heart of the crisis within a crisis the Church is undergoing today. So we will turn to the words of Monsignor Charles Pope, who posted on his various social media pages the following message. Quote, Papa Francisco says, I would like to emphasize an attitude that I do not like, because it does not come from God. Rigidity. Today it is fashionable. I do not know about here, but in other parts of the world it is fashionable to find rigid people. Young, rigid priests who want to save with rigidity. Perhaps, I don't know, but they take this attitude of rigidity, and sometimes, excuse me, from the museum. They are afraid of everything. They are rigid. Be careful, and know that under any rigidity there are serious problems. Santo Padre, I am not feeling the love here. I don't feel accompanied by you. Make room in your heart for me and others like me. I am not a young priest, but I know you don't like my type of priesthood. Further, I am an American, and this mere fact seems to also make me troublesome in your eyes. I'm not afraid of everything as you state, but I do have concerns for the ambiguity of some of your teachings and severity of some of your actions. Yet when we, your less favored sons, ask you questions you will not answer or clarify, in all this, I am still your son and share the priesthood of Jesus with you. I await the solicitude and gentle care from you that you say I, and others like me, lack. Meanwhile, I must honestly and painfully say that I am wearied from being scorned and demonized by you. Respectfully, Carlo. End quote. So what is our situation today? The one holy Roman and apostolic church, the church founded by Christ on the rock of Peter, is on the verge of yet another schism. While, while there have been in many ways a de facto schism in the church since the Second Vatican Council with the modernists teaching false gospel after false gospel, this situation has taken new form and a new life of its own under the present pontificate. And now the Amazon Synod and the German Synodal Assembly are pushing the church closer to schism than ever before. We could possibly add in the Australian Plenary Council that is coming in 2020 as well, which promises to democratically pass binding declarations on the faithful of the church in Australia if the Vatican signs off on it, which could result in a church that is either dogmatically or doctrinally different in Australia than it is in the rest of the world, or with the Vatican tacitly approving heterodoxy that will spread to the rest of the church if it doesn't intervene and stop heterodoxy in its tracks. This is a complicated topic, and on the Sources blog I have several news stories from the past week pointing to this. You can find a link to the blog in the description of this podcast. Yesterday I posted the text of the Declaration of Truths by Cardinal Burke and Bishop Athanasius Schneider. In that document, the two prelates lay out the errors of the Instrumentum Laboris of the Amazon Synod, the Synod's working document. The errors of that document are cited clearly, with direct citations given and quotes taken from the Amazon document itself, and they are refuted largely with quotes from documents from the Second Vatican Council. These conciliar documents they cite are the statements from the Council that reiterate the timeless teachings of the Church and the Catholic faith, and aren't the statements from the Council that would give most traditionally-minded Catholics pause or reason for concern. As an aside, it's worth noting that there actually are statements in these documents of the Second Vatican Council that repeat the truths of the faith. But anyway. Other citations include the works of Pope Pius XI, Thomas Aquinas, the Catholic Compendium of Christian Doctrine, Sacred Scripture, and other sources that Catholics with a functioning census catholicum would take no issue with. The piece is meticulous and carefully worded. Its point was to launch a 40-day campaign of prayer and fasting among the laity 
while waking the cardinals up to the risk of apostasy, heresy, and schism in the form of the Amazon Synod. Again, I recorded and uploaded that document in video form for yesterday, Monday, September 16th, 2019, and you can listen to that if you haven't heard or read the document. In short, the two prelates remind us that every Catholic as a true soldier of Christ is called to safeguard and promote the truths of the faith, lest the Synod of Bishops betray the Synod's mission, which is to assist the Pope in the preservation and growth of the faith and morals. Notice the lack of direct attack on Francis, which will likely upset some of us who are tired of the attacks leveled on those of us who frankly are happy to be called rigid and pharisaical by a Pope who appears to emphasize mercy at the expense of justice of God, unless, of course, the topic isn't human sin, but pollution. Pope Francis recently was asked by reporter Jason Horowitz of the New York Times if he was afraid of a schism. For context, Francis has been told consistently and probably come to the conclusion himself as well that the greatest threat to his agenda comes from so-called American conservatism among the ranks of Catholics. This is the view fed to him by American allies by, like Father Anthony Spadaro, who also says that even mild criticism of the pontiff is a betrayal and inappropriate. We hear that sometimes from lay, lay, lay people as well. Quoting Philip Lawler's statement on this, quote, Pope Francis made it quite clear that he accepts his allies' analysis of the American scene. He accepts the preposterous reading of American affairs by his friend, Father Antonio Spadaro, who sees American conservatism as the greatest threat to the papal agenda, and insists that there is a campaign of disinformation against Pope Francis that links American and Russian interests. Uh, he welcomes the work of the French author Nicolas Senez, who sees a conservative American plot against the Pope. He believes his advisors when they explain that all criticism of his statements and policies on doctrinal issues, on the Eucharist, on the indispensable role of Jesus Christ in salvation, on the indissolubility of marriage, on the all-male priesthood, is really a smokescreen, a pretext because the critics are really interested only in advancing a conservative political agenda. End quote. Francis would go on to reply that he honors honest, fair criticism and always benefits from it. There are still unanswered dubian accusations made by Vigano that all turned out to be true that obviously beg to differ. Philip Lawler makes the following statement at the start of his piece, which made waves online. Quote, I'm not afraid of schisms, Pope Francis told reporters during his latest airplane press conference. Well, I am, and I am afraid of any Roman pontiff who, doesn't af who isn't afraid of splitting the universal church, which means that, yes, I'm afraid of Pope Francis. End quote. He then finishes the piece with this statement, quote, As he wrapped up his astonishing statement, Pope Francis finally voiced some sympathy for his critics because they are going through a tough time and closed by saying, We must accompany them gently. A tough time, yes, that is an understatement. But how can we really believe that the Pope plans to accompany us gently, that he does not indeed plan to continue ignoring our concerns, questioning our motives, denouncing our beliefs? Pope Francis is not afraid of a split in the church. I am. That's why I'm afraid of this Pope. End quote. Recall what I started this with, the words of Monsignor Charles Pope, a respected priest who isn't usually lumped in with traditionalists, but is on the standard conservative wing of the establishment. He wrote that he was tired of being denounced and essentially mocked by the Pope. Also understand that this is happening while we get conflicting statements from the pontiff himself. I recently saw a quote from Francis where he mocks the schismatic group, the Old Catholics, who went into schism after the First Vatican Council over the issue of papal infallibility. And Francis made fun of them because they broke away in order to preserve tradition and in the end have resorted to ordaining women clergy. 
Francis made fun of them for that error, for schism leading to women's ordination, yet he has himself signed off on the instrumentum laboris. These are confusing times, though I will agree that at the very least for all of us, that the example of the old Catholics is a cautionary tale whose, ex whose example is to be avoided at all costs. But this attack on what is being called American conservatism isn't new. Incidentally, American conservatism is a label I categorically reject and strongly recommend that the faithful reject as a whole. There is only Catholicism and error, and error has no rights. Two years ago, Philip Lawler documented these attacks on what the Vatican has labeled American conservatives for objecting to the innovations and potential errors of the present pontificate. At that time, Lawler wrote about essentially a hit piece published in Civilita Cattolica, the Vatican's famous journal. Here's a worthwhile lengthy quote from, for that problem that gives light to the long attacks on those of us who simply want the Catholic faith as it has always been taught. Quoting Lawler again, While they are quick to pronounce judgment on American politicians, the two authors betray an appalling ignorance of the American scene. The authors toss Presidents Nixon, a Quaker, Reagan, Bush, and Trump into the same religious classification, suggesting that they were all motivated by fundamentalist principles. An ordinary American reading this account would be surprised to see the author's preoccupation with the late Reverend Roussas Rushduni and the church militant website, hardly major figures in the formation of American public opinion. The essay is written from the perspective of people who draw their information about America from left-wing journals rather than from practical experience. The central thesis of Civilita Catholica essay is that American conservatives have developed an ideology based on fundamentalist Protestant beliefs that sees the U.S. as morally righteous, with other people as enemies, and thus justifies conflict and exploitation. Again and again, the authors describe this attitude as Manichaean. They insist on the need to fight against it. They insist on tolerance, but they have no tolerance for this attitude. Nowhere in the essay does one find a suggestion of the attitude, made popular by Pope Francis, that the Church should accompany sinners. No, the sins of American conservatism are unforgivable. Triumphalist, arrogant, and vindictive ethnicism is actually the opposite of Christianity, the author tells us. So this is a heresy, then. The Manichaean references were purposeful, and it must be condemned? The Vatican today lauds Martin Luther for his desire to reform the faith, but denounces evangelical Protestants. For, for what, exactly? The Civilta Catolica essay speaks, in typically incendiary terms, of an ecumenism of hate. But it is not obvious, frankly, who hates whom. End quote. Lawler goes on to cite sources that say that Francis's goal is to sever the links between the faith and politics, which is weird in that it seems obvious that what we're seeing is the inversion of the proper relationship between faith and politics, where in the right ordered society, politics is, is subsumed by the faith, or put more clearly, the po political and the faith work hand in hand to achieve the same goals in their own proper spheres. What we see looks like a subsuming of the faith for the political, especially in light of recent statements by Francis that the faithful are to obey the United Nations. Yes, he said that, and I'll probably cover that later in the week. Dr. Robert Moynihan sums up these issues clearly in his piece on InsideTheVatican.com. Here's what he had to say on the matter, which provides clear context for the mess we're dealing with, and the thinking of those around Francis who want to blame a handful of internet influencers in the U.S. for this crisis. Quote, it is the drumbeat of criticism of many of Pope Francis's decisions and actions, from the sexual abuse crisis to the reform of the Roman Curia, to the agreement with the Chinese government, to his closing of conservative religious orders, to his seeming focus of environmental issues, though all previous popes focused above all on the sac sacrificial life and the death of Jesus Christ, and on what that means for all human beings. 
This drumbeat seems to have reached the ears of Pope Francis himself. He has said he is quite aware of it. And this has led him to speak about his own reaction to criticism and his attitude of the, to the possibility of a schism in the church. The drumbeat comes especially from a still small number of Catholic websites in America, like LifeSite News, Church Militant, 1 Peter 5, Abyssus Abyssum Invocat, Radicelli, but also from a few others in Italy, Spain, England, Poland, and elsewhere. On these websites, open critics of Pope Francis and the, sat and the more circumspect, circumspect supporters of ideas the Pope has criticized or set aside have called on Pope Francis to clarify his teaching on certain matters, but have not received a response from him satisfactory to them. Generally, the critics say Francis has been silent. Some of these requesters of clarification are not without a certain standing in the Church. A small group of cardinals, Brandmuller, Burke, Eich of Utrecht, Holland, Muller, Sarah, though Sarah has told me that he is profoundly loyal to Pope Francis, calling him our Papa, and they include a few bishops like René Henry Gracida, and former auxiliary bishop of the Archdiocese of Miami, first bishop of Galveston, then bishop of Corpus Christi, and Athanasius Schneider of Kazakhstan, not an American, in fact, none of the men named thus far are American except Burke and Gracida. These critics seem to be persuaded that the Church is being badly led by a group of insiders who have persuaded the Pope to go along with a number of initiatives which depart in lesser and greater ways from traditional Catholic teaching. Some of these critics think the teaching of the Pope, or those chosen and supported by him, has reached the level of heresy, the level of contradicting defined Catholic doctrine. See the text of Cardinal Brandmuller on the Amazon Synod included below. There does seem to be a danger that this opposition to Francis may be supported by wealthy powers hidden in the shadows, whose aim is to divide the church at all costs, no matter what the issue, to weaken the church. And this suggests caution in calling for any division of the Catholic Church into an old and new Catholic Church. There also seems another danger, that the circle around Pope Francis, and Francis himself, underestimate the implacable hatred of the world for the church. Very powerful secular forces seem anxious to subject the church to their worldly agenda, which begins as a call for mercy and ends with an attack on all traditional Christian doctrinal and moral teaching. The slow erosion of respect for human life is but one example. End quote. One thing that has always perturbed me is the conflation of the earthly, secular political titles and concepts with the faith. There are no conservative Catholics or liberal Catholics or socialist Catholics or what have you. There are only Catholics and those who are in error. I've made the mistake in the past of using these political terms to describe the faith, and I've seen others do it as well. In the proposal for my doctoral dissertation on Catholic social teaching, I described the Church's position as conservative in relation to the issue of sustainable development. That is, of course, an error, though I don't know if my committee will understand it, other than in a purely relative context to that of the technocratic world. The Church's true position is simply Catholic, and the use of the political labels by everyone involved is an error. It's an error to ally ourselves with secular political ideologies, and it is an error to apply them to the faith. Those who are in error may have adopted secular political titles and errors, so we obviously have a plague now of Catholics in serious error, who have adopted socialism, libertarianism, greenism, and other weird labels that suggest that the faith has been married to, or at least linked to, a particular ideology. That's an error itself, and to be avoided. And it's clear that the Vatican is making the same error, especially considering that the websites and commentators that the Vatican insiders seem to be so afraid of, in the U.S. and beyond, aren't typically using those labels to describe themselves, unless I've missed something. Instead, they're being applied to the critics. To us, I mean, let's be honest about this. Which isn't true, for the critics of the Church are as diverse in our opinions on secular matters as we are about our tastes and many other things. But all this is ruled by the faith itself. 
You can count me among those who think that Francis is being led astray by those who want to abuse his office for their own ends. <laughs> There's nothing new in the history of the church when it comes to that. Even the most saintly of popes had to deal with people like this who surround the, the office of the papacy in order to give the, the pope bad advice. The difference today is that this pope appears to be in lockstep with our thinking, and that is, of course, more than a little troublesome. He even is liking the source of their, or he is even likely the source of their thinking. We've seen consistent dislike of Americans by Francis since the start of his pontificate, and it shows here. It's evident in the inclusion of liberation theology in the Amazon Synod's working document. In truth, there is a risk of schism, not because of what we want, but because of the innovations of the current regime. And those innovations are frankly in keeping with post-conciliar era of the church, which is a period marked by innovation after innovation. So where does this leave us? At the very least, there is a recognition that the state of the church isn't healthy. But as I keep saying, what most of us want is merely this, the faith, as taught by the church consistently throughout the history of the church until the past few decades. We want the faith. We want it protected. We want it taught with clarity. And we want the church to stand up against the errors of the world and not to embrace them and force them onto the faithful. We want the church to spread the gospel. Clearly, sides are forming in this mess, and only God himself can intervene to stop this from breaking out into full, open schism. And that is a tragedy beyond all tragedies. For the presence of bad priests and bad prelates, and even bad popes, is the result of faithlessness of the laity. In closing, I'll leave you with this observation. Most of us are the types who demand that the church needs to consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary in order to fulfill the request made by Fatima, or made by heaven in Fatima in 1917, a request that hasn't been fulfilled plenty of evidence that says that has, that consecration has never actually happened. What most people overlook is our responsibility in this, for another request was made by heaven in 1917 at Fatima, that the lady are to keep the five first Saturday's devotion. I've spoken about this numerous times here and will so again in the future, but it's sufficient to say that we as lay faithful have our own sins of omission to rectify, and that we've been remiss in our duties in this as well, and as a result we as the faithful bear some responsibility for the state of things today. After all, how few Catholics stood up in the 1960s and 70s in faithful opposition to the innovations imposed at that time. How few still do so today. Keep that in mind as this crisis continues to magnify in intensity. And keep praying that novena of novenas as we close in on the Amazon. Thank you for listening. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.